Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Okay, thank you again to everyone who uh, participated in the musical last Sunday. Wonderful, wonderful. That was such a blessing for us to be able to. Yes, yes. Such a blessing for us to enjoy and hear you use the gifts God's given you and communicate the Christmas story. Yes, and it's coming up round two. A few minutes here. All right. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You so much for our time so far. This morning, a time of worship and fellowship, being reminded of what Christmas is about. And, and now, Father, as we turn our attention to Your Word, we're so thankful for Your Word. In fact, it's how we're sanctified by Your truth. And, and You've given us the Holy Spirit to, to understand Your truth. You've given us new minds, the mind of Christ. And so, Father, this morning, again, we don't want to just be hearers of Your Word, but ultimately doers. For we know that it's through the renewing of our minds and the application of Your Word that, that we are transformed, literally. Metamorphosis, supernatural uh, thing that You do in us. So, so, Father, thank You for Your Word. And now uh, we ask You to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. You don't have to turn there, but uh, if you were with us, keep your finger, go ahead and stay in Romans, but I'm going to flip over to Philippians. If you were with us way back in January, in fact, the first Sunday of January of this year, we started in Philippians, and, and we started a series that was on pressing on, pressing on, right? In fact, Philippians 3.14, the, the Apostle Paul said way back in January, we looked at it, he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so we had this series back in January and it was meant to launch us off into pressing on. In 2015, let's press on. And, and we, we learned that the word pressing on was a vigorous, a vigorous, an uncompromising, a continual application, effort in our walk in pursuit of godliness and holiness, Right? And so we, we looked at that, and then in Romans 12, we're concluding, we're concluding uh, this year. And really, Romans 12 helps us to understand where, where we're going when we press on. What's the goal of pressing on? And let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, the believers in Rome. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And we've learned, we learned through the end of November, beginning of December, what he's saying in that first verse is, hey, if you'll take the time, and he did this in Romans 1 through 11, he says, I want you to take the time to think about God's incredible plan of salvation. Just, just stop and think about the Gospels, the plan of salvation coming to the Gentiles and the Jews. Think about the implications of that. He says, in light of that, in light of the supernatural, incredible gospel that has come to the world, he says, hey, you know what? The most reasonable thing you can do, the most intelligent thing you can do, is just to give your life as a living sacrifice, your bodies. Just in light of God's incredible grace and mercy and goodness, the most reasonable thing you can do, I can do, is every day to wake up and say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I choose this day to present myself, to offer myself, to give myself up to you as a living sacrifice. That's a choice we make. 
not just at the beginning of a day, but throughout the day. And for many of us, just that application, I, I would encourage you, I would challenge you. What's the first thought that comes into your mind when you wake up? Oh, okay, we heard coffee. Snooze, right? What, what, think about it, this morning. What, was, what did you do this morning? Coffee, you got your routine. I shared with you before my challenge in breaking my habit was one of my first things when I would get up is I'd go onto my phone and read the news. And I, and, and I got convicted of that. Like, really? You're going to start the day on that depressing of a note? <laughs> you can get back in bed and go under my covers if you read enough news, right? And, and, and if you think about this, he says, the most reasonable thing we can do is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. What difference would it make if we woke up and, and said, Lord, today, okay, I choose right now on the front end to present myself to you as a living sacrifice, Lord. Just empower me, lead me, guide me throughout this day. What would happen if you just began the day like that? Right? Pretty incredible. So, so that's what he's saying in Romans 1. Then he says, do not conform, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Right? Don't, don't be molded, don't be shaped by the, the values, the attitudes, the behaviors of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And His will is good. His will is pleasing. His will is perfect. And we've seen uh, that that word transformed is metamorphosis. Right? And we were challenged because we asked ourselves, okay, as a Christian, are you just trying to be good and happy? Is that why we gather? Is that why you said a prayer whenever you said the prayer and put your faith in Jesus? Now, until you go home, you know, until until you, you... you depart this planet, you're just supposed to be good and happy. Is that what it was? You're supposed to be a better person, a moral person. Or is there something bigger, something actually supernatural that we're about? Right? And that word transformation is metamorphosis, and the word picture was the caterpillar to what? A butterfly. So we ended two weeks ago with this picture. And we asked ourselves this. Are you just trying to be the best caterpillar you can be? Is that what we're about? And when you invite people to church, hey, come to our church. Well, what do you guys do there? Well, we worship and, and the pastor preaches. Well, what's the point? Well, we're all trying to be really good caterpillars. Is that what we're about? Trying to be the best caterpillar you can be. Be all you can be, right? Is that what we're about? Is this sort of a self-help, spiritual spin thing? We're really, we're just about becoming the best caterpillar we can be. Because here's the thing, a lot of people, if we inadvertently even speak that message, a lot of people in the community will say thanks but no thanks. Because all they got to do is go to Barnes & Noble and there's a whole self-help section. If, if, if Christianity is just a, a glorified self-help with a spiritual twist, here's a few verses thrown in, So I can be a better caterpillar. Well, thanks. No thanks. I sleep in on Sunday. Wednesday nights I got stuff to do. You know, I don't need to go to Delta. It's Delta Group and everything we do just to become better caterpillars. And Romans 12, 2 says, oh, no, 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 no. If if that's your thought, 
If you thought being a Christian was just to be a better caterpillar and be a better moral person and just avoid the biggies so God doesn't get mad at you, somewhere along the line, your lines got crossed with this. Because Romans 12.2 says, when you put your faith in Christ, there, you begin a supernatural process. Everyone say supernatural. Ooh, right? See, there is a very supernatural, miraculous element to our faith that unfortunately, you know, we try to be very pragmatic and very practical and very intelligent and very academic. And in the midst of that, we just say, uh, Holy Spirit, we don't need you. We don't need to be transformed. Uh, the whole supernatural element, the miraculous element, the transformative element, all gets put to the side and we just become Ojai Valley Caterpillar Fellowship. And we like each other. Turn to the caterpillar next to you and smile. Say, I like you. But you know what, you know what kind of stirs the dust around here? Is when you start to get the idea that you're supposed to be butterflies. Oh, that starts to rock the boat. And we've, we've seen it happen over this year. You know, one of the ways that we've seen it happen is you've caught the vision of, of God moving in your life. You're singing louder. You're singing louder. More hands are going up. There's freedom. You're allowing God to move in and through you. You're experiencing the joy of the Lord. What you're really experiencing is sanctification, transformation. You're letting God be God in your life. Now, that's kind of scary because when God comes in, He wants to move the furniture. And you've got you to gotta choose to allow Him to move that furniture, right? And so we saw, even through here, how God is so incredible. You know, when this caterpillar was born, was being formed and born, everything necessary to be a butterfly was in His, in his genes. There were, there's discs in, in Him to become that. And it's crazy, I shared, in this cocoon, that guy dissolves. And the stuff of the butterfly eats the caterpillar and grows. And at a certain point, when it's ready, comes out like that. So the caterpillar gets eaten and dissolves by the stuff in, in it to become that. Hmm. Because that blows me away because the Bible says we've been given everything we need to life and godliness. The Bible says we're new creations. The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we're to put off and put on. We're in the same process. We're in the same process of dying to the old daily and allowing what God has already given us, a new heart, a new mind, a new nature, the Holy Spirit. And all He's saying is, let it come out. Let it come out. Let me transform you. And I'll guarantee you this. That community out there will be attracted to that. When they see your life being transformed, what got into you? What got into you? What? 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 I don't know, man. I'm just letting it out. And you just smile. And you just walk around with joy. And you let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And this transformation happens. 
that is what the world will be attracted to. Not, hey, come and just, amen, let's just be better caterpillars. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's a choice you and I have to make. Because that word, if you see it there, like in Romans 12, it says, be transformed. That's a passive tense, which means the transforming happens to you. By the renewing of your mind, and in January we're going to look at this renewing of our mind and what the Bible says about our mind and how do you actually renew it. But what's important is this transformation. It says be transformed, not transform yourself. See the difference? Radical. Radical difference. We, we choose to renew our mind. We choose to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is God who transforms us. Amen? That's the supernatural element. The God of the universe puts God the Holy Spirit in you so He can transform you. Radically different than you trying to be a good moral caterpillar. See, here's the crazy thing. When you give God permission to transform you, and you give Him permission in just the different areas of your life, you don't know where you're going to end up, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Me doing this, uh, you know, here's an example. Me singing up here and playing guitar, I always giggled when, when my family first came up to, to visit because I never sang and we never played instruments in our house growing up. And you should have seen their face. What's he doing? See, they were sitting right there. What's he doing? He's going to sing? He's going to play guitar? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? If you would have told me that someday I would be doing it, I'd say, you're crazy. That, are you crazy? And I didn't know that even that gift was there, even that ability was there, let alone do it in front of people. But at a certain point, you had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. Are you, are you going to you gonna try to box in God and tell him exactly what he's going to do in your life? And, and when? Or are you going to surrender and say, God, my life is yours. Take me where you want me to take me. Develop the gifts I don't even know I have yet. And then use them for your purpose. Amen? Use them. That's transformation. I don't care how old you are. Right, Ernie? Yeah. <laughs> See? He's old. Thank you, Betty. <laughs> See, because here's the thing. We buy into this world thing. Well, I've been a Christian for 30, 40 years. God can't do anything with me. I'm, I'm just, this is just me. This, this is just me. Okay, when you say that, which one are you? See, you're saying, God, I'm a caterpillar. You've done as, I, I'm as good as I can be. I'm done. No. No. That's the radical thing. Here's the thing. You can have a Christian who, who's been coming to church, doing everything they need to do for 30, 40, 50 years, and yet is not yet allowing God to have full reign. You can get someone who's a believer, and in a week or two, major transformation. Because they've opened up their heart and life and said, Lord, I'm yours. See, here's the thing. Spiritual maturity and the rate of transformation is not dependent on how many years you've been coming to church. Maturity and transformation is really dependent on you opening up to God and just letting Him have His way. Now, is that kind of scary? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, not, right? Yeah. But that's that abundant, exhilarating life that Jesus talked about. 
That's that. Let's do this. That's the life. That's what the world would be attracted to. Oh, yeah. Those people, they're alive there. They're alive. There's a joy. There's a zeal. There's an enthusiasm. What's up with that? You know the word enthusiasm? You know what that is? En theos. In God. So who should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet? Christians. We're in Christ. Where's our enthusiasm? A lot of us, our enthusiasm for life, our enthusiasm for God, has really been squelched because we're stuck there. We're stuck there. God wants you there. That's where the enthusiasm comes. And it's a choice. It's just a choice, right? But here's the thing we have to guard against, okay? And this is really where we're going to focus on. Going from there to there, especially in our culture, because it says, do not be conformed to the world. Here's what we have to be very leery of, especially in the United States. That our faith with Jesus, our walk with the Lord, becomes self-centered. Becomes self-centered and self-help-ish. Which means we put our faith in Christ, we come to church, we serve and everything like that, but the, the root of it, the core of it is, well, what's Jesus going to do for me? How's He going to help me? What's the pastor going to say that's, that I can just take home from me? And it's very subtle. And we have to be very careful about it. We have to ask ourselves, am I coming to church? Is my Christianity really about how it's all supposed to help me? You see? Because Romans 12.1 said we're just supposed to be living sacrifices. Jesus says, hey, take up your cross daily and just follow me. See, in our culture, we have to be very careful that our Christianity isn't just about me and how it's going to help me and make me happy and help me overcome things and help me be a better person and help me clean up my mind and help me do my money better and help me and help me and help me. That's a trap. That's being conformed to the world. If we want to be transformed, we have to understand on the front end, it's not about me. Okay? So very lovingly to yourself, say, it's not about me. (laughs) If you can get that, it will radically even transform coming here every week. Because even here, you've heard me say before, do you come to church to be a getter or a giver? When you wake up in the morning to come on Sunday, oh, I hope the music's good. Oh, I hope the message is good. Oh, I hope the donuts are good. Right? Get, 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 get. I hope the coffee's hot. (laughs) I heard you, Thelma. Kathy. (laughs) If we're not careful, our Christianity becomes about getting and self-centered. And then when the pastor says something you don't like or the music's too loud or the coffee's cold, we go look for somewhere else that's going to meet our needs. We call it the muck church mentality. We shop around for churches to meet our needs. What's the programming like? What's this like? What's that like? And Christianity becomes completely about us and fitting our schedules and being convenient. When all along, Romans 12.1 said, Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus said, Take up your cross and just follow me. Where are we going? Just follow. Well, what do you mean? Just follow. You know, it's like a need-to-know basis. When you need to know, you'll know. Otherwise, just follow. 
And that's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith. So how can we how can we renew our minds in this area? Turn to Titus. Turn to Titus. The book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Shiloh, you can put this up. The book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to his friend Titus. Titus traveled with Paul and eventually Titus stayed in Crete. And Paul wrote this letter to Titus to help him shepherd and lead the churches in Crete. Okay? So Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Right? So that's the background. Titus 2.9 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus and say, Titus, I want you to teach this to the believers in Crete. He says this. Titus 2.9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them. Not to talk back to them. And not to steal from them. But to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, right? He says, Titus, teach slaves. In the early church, there was a large percentage of slaves that became believers and were part of the church. Now, understand the culture that we're talking about. These are slaves, the lowest of the low, completely living at the whim and mercy of masters, wicked masters, brutal masters, who, who basically didn't even consider them human. They could do what they wanted to a slave, and culturally it was just okay. So they lived in deplorable conditions, every day not knowing if they're going to survive, every day not knowing what the master is going to do to them. Okay, there's no way to candy coat it. It was horrible. And in the midst of that horrifying life situation, they become believers. And here's the radical teaching. Look at this. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them. He's not talking about Christian masters only. He's talking about wicked, horrible masters, okay? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that, here's the purpose, in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior Attractive. Did you catch that? The purpose of the slaves honoring God and being godly and and, and honorable in their conduct was to glorify the gospel. It wasn't about them. There's nothing about them reaping any benefit. Did you see that? Look at it again. Very important. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that, okay, it does not say this, so that those slaves will get a raise. So that those slaves will be treated better. So that those slaves will be happier. So that those slaves will be anything. It has nothing to do with them personally receiving any benefit for this. What's the purpose? Look, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Here's in in the front of your bulletins it says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The purpose 
for these slaves to live God-honoring lives is to honor God and the gospel. Now you think about that. Let, let, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Uh, disrespect any of you who are going through challenging employer-employee relationships. But my guess is, if you're not happy with your boss right now, it may not be as much as what these slaves were going through. And yet, oh, Lord, help me with my boss. Oh, Lord, just help me get through this day. Oh, Lord, Change my boss. Right? In, in these difficult employer-employee relationships, what is the nature of much of our prayer? To benefit me. It's in some way, shape, or form to make my life better or easier. How many of us would pray this a prayer in line with Titus 2, 9, and 10? Lord, help me... To be subject to my boss in everything. To try to please my boss. To not talk back to my boss. To not steal from my boss. To show my boss that I can be fully trusted. So that the gospel is glorified. Anyone pray that? (laughs) You see? The radical. That's supernatural. Amen? If you try that on your own, how many will last about five minutes? Until the boss says something mean again. Until the boss disrespects me again. Then, then, then the gloves come off all over again. Right? This is that supernatural transformative thing we're talking about. He says, hey, slave, live such honoring lives in these deplorable conditions, not so that your lives are better, but ultimately and most importantly, that you adorn the gospel. Okay, so we're all going to say it again. It's not about me. One, two, three. It's not about me. We'll just say it quietly because I know that's... (laughs) You see? You see what's happening here? That word adorn is a powerful word. It's cosmeo, which where we get the words cosmetics. Cosmetics. Right, and I put some I put some uh, bullets in your in your uh, outline here. It's cosmetic. It says the lives of believers should make the doctrine of God attractive or beautiful to non-believers. It's present tense, right? It's a habitual. It's every day. According to Merriam-Webster, right, to adorn is to make someone or something more attractive by adding something beautiful. The word ornament is defined as a small, fancy object that is put on something else to make it more attractive. This tree right here. Right? I don't know if you know it, but, but, but trees, the ornaments, you know, it's like Bill shared, he, he did a, a wonderful devotion at, at the gardens, and he said, annually, the Christmas trees and Christmas ornament business is $6 billion. $6 billion is spent on trees and ornaments ornaments. Ornaments weren't really popular until like the 1890s. If you remember Woolworth, right? Woolworth, the five and dime. He's the one that brought them here. And by like 1890, he was already making $25 million in ornaments. Carl, shout out because they came from Germany, right? That's where ornaments originated. 
right? But why do we put them on there? What is the purpose of an ornament? To make it look beautiful, right? To, to make it more attractive. Cosmeo, cosmetics. What is the purpose of cosmetics? To make it look better, right? Question. Question then. Does your life, does my life adorn the gospel? Is it, does, does your life and my life make the gospel, the truth of being a believer, attractive? You know, we rode around for an hour and a half on Friday night, and there were some pretty elaborate setups in front of houses designed for people to say, come look. You get what I'm saying? People designed their front of their homes for you and I to come look. Is your life and my life an ornament to the gospel? Does it adorn it? Does it adorn it? And here's, here's the thing. Titus 2, 9 and 10 are, are written to slaves, low and disadvantaged. So there's really no reason that any of us aren't challenged that wherever you work, there's a wonderful phrase we picked up from uh, a sister at Continuing Care, bloom where you're planted. So Titus 2, 9 and 10, hey slaves, bloom where you're planted so that your life is an ornament to the gospel. Is your life, is my life adorning the gospel? And here's, here's the thing, we can even break it down because the life, you know, a lot of times, you know, we look at our life as just one big bulb, right? One big ornament. Well, let's, if we were to break that down and we say, okay, let's look at life because there's more than one ornament on here, right? So let's say uh, my stewardship of finances, my relationships, my language, my thought life, and whatever else you want to put on your tree. You break your life down into all the different ornaments and ask yourself, is that attractive? Does that draw people to the gospel, to wanting to know Jesus, my life, as an ornament adorning the doctrine of God? You want a purpose in your life? You want a reason to get up in the morning and, and be a part of something bigger than yourself? Right there. Purpose in your heart and your life that every area is simply an ornament designed to make the gospel attractive. Attractive. Has nothing about going out and bashing people over the head and getting in debates and arguments. It's just how you live your life. These were slaves. Everything in there is an action word about their conduct. It has nothing to them about... Hey, and by the way, slaves, get in these really big theological debates. No, right? You've heard me say it a lot. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. But if we're doing this, probably don't have to use many words. Except when people ask, hey man, what's up with you? What are you all about? Well, let me share with you. Let me share with you. I'm in, I'm in transformation. I'm in metamorphosis. Right? And on your no notes there, that word cosmeo, 
is also related to cosmos, which is order versus chaos, disorder. And so you say, well, how do I, how do I make this real then? How do I make my life an ornament? Well, just ask yourself, Lord, are the different areas in my life lined up with and in order consistent with your word? See, if your life, if you're saying one thing and your life is not lined up and consistent with this, that's chaos. Cosmos is, Lord, I want to adorn the gospel by simply bringing my life into order. Consistency. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Transformed. For the rest of my life. That's the joy we have. Is little by little, our life gets more attractive. Gets, adorns it more. This isn't like keeping a whole bunch of, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, I'm so, No, no, no. The joy is that this is a lifelong process. Amen? How many of you uh, have had a tree or have a tradition where the ornaments on your tree have grown in number over the years? It, it's full now. It looks better now, right? That's sanctification. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you walk by faith, the more you walk in the Holy Spirit, just more ornaments are going on the tree. Your life is becoming that much more attractive. Come look. How many of you enjoy people looking at your tree at home? You're you're kind of proud of it. Come look. Let me tell you what Jesus is about. Well, what's Jesus about? Someone just look at my life. Is it attractive? Is it adorning? Right? I love these verses. Let's just close with a couple. Turn to Matthew 5. We'll just close with this. Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds And praise your Father in heaven. Isn't that a great testimony? Something bigger than yourself. Something larger than yourself. I want to, I want, Lord, I want my life to be an ornament. I want to adorn the gospel. Not so people say, hey, out of boy, hey, out of girl, good job. No. I want people to say, hey, wow, I want that. I want, I'm attracted to that. That's pretty cool. I like that. Look on the back of your uh, your notes. I put a little poem. Some of you like poems. I came across this. and It's kind of cool. It says, The Gospel According to You. There's a gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, to Luke, and John 2. There's another gospel that many are reading. The Gospel According to You. All teachings we find in the Bible are facts we know to be true. You must live them to make them the gospel, the gospel according to you. Many read not the words of the Bible. I will tell you what some of them do. They are reading the book you are writing, the gospel according to you. There is great power in gospel preaching. The Bible teaches that this is true. 
but the sermon most likely to influence others is the gospel according to you. God, help us to be faithful to Jesus, to live all his teachings so true, so that all may see his spirit in the gospel according to you. Right? Titus 2, 9 and 10. May this Christmas, whenever you see the tree at your house, whenever you see ornaments in the store, wherever you go, my prayer for you is that whenever you see an ornament from this day forward, whether it's Christmas or not, you'll say, Lord, I want my life to be an ornament. I want my life to adorn the gospel in every area. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus and said, Hey, Titus, tell the slaves that even in their very difficult situations, by their conduct, their lives can adorn the doctrine of God. By their conduct, their lives can make the Gospel attractive in every way. And Father, my prayer for us in this Christmas season when we're surrounded by trees and ornaments, that whatever station in life we find ourselves this morning, whatever challenges we have at work or in other relationships, however we handle our money, our time, the language that comes out of our mouth, our thought life, every area, Lord, that we would desire every area to adorn the Gospel. Every area. And yet we're reminded that it's a supernatural work through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in transformation, metamorphosis, according to Romans 12.2. And so we choose to yield and submit We choose to repent if needed, to change our mind about things in our life that are not attractive, that do not adorn the Gospel. Maybe there's areas, Lord, where we need to repent and change and into 2016 make some life changes, practical decisions. Father, our desire is just simply to adorn that people would see our lives and be drawn to a relationship with Jesus Christ because they see transformation happen little by little, step by step. And as we take communion, we remember not just Jesus' death and resurrection, but this morning even, we remember the relationship of that to His birth. And so Jesus, we take this communion in remembrance of you, that you were born in the timeline of earth's history, you were born, you died, and you rose from the dead. 